Hey everybody, our final day here at the Venard Symposium and this morning Vocal Fry got to sit down with two of my good friends back from my North E days in the Northeast. Uh, my dear friend Dan Ehaz, who's a professor of voice, distinguished teacher at SUNY Fredonia, and my friend Kelly Hidgley, both of whom I sort of know from our larger Voce Vista uh, Friar community. Thank you, Don. Um, and they were on to talk about the Singing Voice Science and Pedagogy Workshop, which is being run by Richard Lissamore and my my mentor, Donald Miller, this summer uh, featuring Voce Vista. And uh, their event is June 6th through 8th. We talk about what, what, what they're trying to do with the event, some on this. We also just talk quite a bit about resonance and, and resonance strategies and just our fun sort of Voce Vista world of 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 looking at resonance and looking at format tuning and looking at EGG uh, and just just a really great chat um, just to catch up with some old friends and and awesome conversation and so you should go check out their website it's singingvoicescience.com go check them out it's at Montclair State University we talk about it on the podcast so have, have a good time listening it, we had a great time so thankful for Dan and Kelly sitting down and talking with me this morning what an inspiring weekend it has been at the Venard event just inspiring time with my voice pedagogy colleagues, about 40 of us from around the country, just really trying to dig into the trenches of voice pedagogy. And it has been an inspiring, inspiring weekend. I'm fired up. I think they're fired up. Um, and, and there's going to be more to talk about with that mo- moving on into the future. All right. Check it out, guys. You're listening to the MC Vocal Fry Podcast, your weekly dash of voice science, pedagogy, and pop culture, coming to you from the campus of Mississippi College in Clinton, Mississippi. Like, we have an APM as well that I've never used. But don't use acronyms and stuff like that. Um, it's uh, <laughs> uh, the Ambulatory Phonation Monitor. Okay. It's like an $8,000 piece of equipment that basically has gone out of fashion. Okay. And I mean, you still see some research being done with it. I know that about a year ago or two, Matt Hawk and some of his folks at Auburn did a thing with Mary Sandage um, that, that they were looking at. That at uh, It's basically a pedometer. Like it, it measures how many strokes of the glottis you take. And it, 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 he did a Vinterizer hooked up to it okay. to see what the, like, the vocal load was right. for, for singing a full Vinterizer. Right. Instead of doing John Nix was doing it all by calculation. John had he, done I mean, it. I went to he one. Had a he, different, had, he had yeah. a different device that he was using. Well, he was actually, though, some of it, he was just like, well, the, I'm on this note for this long. Yeah. You know, count and the cycles. symmetry like that, I think, has gone by the wayside. Well, it was so labor intensive. It's so labor and intensive. And by the time you were done, you got like, when Moto Di Gioia, you're like, it's a lower intermediate piece, but I remember, you already knew. I remember him presenting on that. Yeah, I'm, I remember him presenting on that. That was in Las Vegas. That was in Las Vegas. Is that where it was? Well, that's he did present it. I remember, I remember hearing it, but I couldn't remember where it was. I, I sat there going, oh my gosh, you spent three months crunching these numbers yeah. to, to give well, me an answer I already knew. That was yeah. like, and when John and I did the vibrato study that we did together with, with Kim and Kim James and uh, Sheila Allen, uh, and originally a couple other people, but who backed out, um, Scott was supposed to be on that as well. Um, we backed up because we couldn't get an IRB. Well, that was one of the You had the protocol set up because I remember yeah. being at. Um, that was one of the reasons Scott backed out. Yeah. What's an IRB? Um, Institutional Review Board. Yeah. But I remember coming and you had the protocol set up. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking at the. Yeah, I read through it. So, anyway, th- that was so much calculation. That I mean, and he did all the calculation for that. I think he had some of his grad assistants help him with that. But I think he basically told me, he said, I'm never going to do another quantitative study. Because I think he was, I mean, so you know, and now he's a full professor. So, I mean, I, you know, God love him. But, I mean, all that calculation, I mean, I, none of my stuff has had that much calculation in it. Because I, I just don't, I'm not a statistician. Well, you and, do need that side of it. And so that, yeah. I just, I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care enough, I think, about it. <laughs> um, and, I do. Hey, you don't have to go anyway. Anyway, um, I'm not, I don't mind labor-intensive research. That you know, it just needs 
it needs to be worth it. We have to pick those projects. Right. And so carefully. like stuff with the APM in general, I mean, I know how to use it. I've had it out of its box. I know how to right. how to set it up. I know how to, you know, whatever. The thing is, it, that device was designed to basically be worn for like a whole day. And it was designed to have a buzzer on you that was like, that you like, that, that if you went over too high a decibel level, it buzzed. So like it, it like basically like shock therapy, like it told you, oh no, you're, you're making too loud a noise or was at too it, high a frequency. Was it a speech therapy? I mean, yeah. kind of. Yeah, noise. of course. I mean, well, listen, that's the thing. That's the thing about all the K-Pentax stuff. See, one of the problems with the lab that we have at the hospital is that it's all K-Pentax stuff. And the problem with the Pentax stuff in general is that it was designed for the speaking voice. It was designed yeah. for speaking voice research. So even the PAS, for example, we can't, one of the limitations of devices that take subglottal pressure readings in general, okay. one, they're not subglottal pressure readings. Like the EGG, it's an estimation. Sure. So there's a problem. <clears throat> Well, there's only one reliable way to take a good subject. Yes, you have to trade your punk, right? And yeah. none of us are going to do that. Oh. <laughs> but what about right. when they drop it through the glove? Can they do something thin They enough? can, but that's sort of invasive. And so, I mean, you know... Less invasive than a tracheotomy. <laughs> well, I, a, anyway, I, so I, I've been... With the PAS, you can't take... And as I understand it, with anything that's mass-based, you can't take high-frequency readings. Okay. They're basically designed for you to be at like for females like at a at a at a G four and just going pop 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 at, yeah. at a G four, yeah. you know. Yeah. And and well, I mean that's and yeah. and 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 that tells you it can tell you something, but it's not going to tell you everything you might want to know, you know. And so I mean, I, I know there's I know there's growing, uh, and this is sort of a good point to lead us into into this discussion, but there's growing suspicion of the EGG in general. We've, we have felt some of that. I mean, I mean, um, well, I, and I think Christian's work on, Herbst's work on that is sort of on point. And I mean, so... I and think he was it, a keynote a couple years ago. Sure. There, so. and, and I mean, I, I think it's maybe... The signal is something. It's just a question of if we know what the signal actually is or not. That's right. It, 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 I think is... I, I, I will add two things to that, and I'll say that I think that um, having Deg in the new Pochi mm-hmm. Vista video mm-hmm. is is a is a much improved um, visual, right? Because the the, the well, actual I said numbers. The, I said the rendering of it is so much better. The rendering of the signal, but is I will so tell you better. that along that along with video chemography supports and proves Don's assumptions mm-hmm. of where the closing takes place and where the next opening happens. It supports it. And frankly, I mean, as a singer and as a singing teacher, I could care less if it says the CQ is 98 or 96. It doesn't really make any difference to me. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not looking at that, and I'm not looking at rounding numbers, but it doesn't make any difference to me. If it says 40 and the other one says 98... That means something to me. Yes. The only place that, that I think that the number has maybe meant something, and let me, before we even go on, let me introduce the voices that you're hearing so you guys all know who I am. But I'm here with my dear friends, Dan Ehas and Kelly Hidgley. Did I say that wrong? No, that was perfect. Kelly Hidgley. <laughs> That's what I thought it was. So, okay, great. I said her name right. Um, they're here to give you some information about the Singing Voice Science Workshop. I said that right, yeah? We've yes. added Science and Pedagogy Workshop this year. There's Singing Voice, Voice Science and, and Pedagogy Workshop. Yes. Which happens at Montclair. Yes. And we'll give you some information about that in a minute. But what I was going to say about that is um, the... The thing with EGG percentages, though, is is that it's there's a lot in the literature regarding CQ to fa or CQ to voice typing or CQ to that kind of thing. Maybe not like small derivations of fa, like mm-hmm. you know a, a, a leggero tenor versus a lyric tenor versus a spinto versus a, a dramatic tenor, but we do have in the literature, um, you know. It, citations of that and 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 that's where i think it gets a little makes me uneasy i I will throw this out there because we were talking about it yesterday i would take some of those citations with a grain of salt yeah because as you know there's all kinds of literature written on what authority that say that the 
this is a TA and this is a C to oh, sure. feature. And and that hasn't actually really completely been yeah, proven. Absolutely. The one thing that we do, at least that I'm aware of, is that in terms of, say, formant tuning or whatever, if you're going to have a resonant shift and you're going to do F2 tuning, then the glottis has to have a closer rate or whatever. Oh. I'll, 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 it has to be higher. Uh, two-thirds is kind of what the old Italian school was talking about, and I think Don has sort of at least proven that to a, to a certain level, whether it's whether it's 66% or 67% or 69%, does it matter? I don't know. Well, the, the interesting conversations I've had with Don about CQ relate, his, his idea has always been more along the lines of how long is the vocal tract effectively closed? Sort of an effect. Sure, sure, how sure, long sure, is it sure, sure. Because we know when it's closed at one end, it's a better resonator. Right. And so oftentimes he's, he's putting up the audio signal and the CQ and showing that when the glottis is open, the, si- the signal tends to fall off. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that's what he's most interested in. I mean, the CQ is a number. We, we get into arguments about what number represents chest voice, what yeah, represents head exactly. voice. That and those I often are very, I think, specious. Yeah. And it's more interesting to compare a single singer and the CQ rates in their own voice. Sure. One of uh, his students and friends, uh, Rainy Savasti, is able to very you know negotiate a, a CQ of 30, 40, 50 at will, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and just by changing registration, and that's impressive. I mean, most of us can't really demonstrate that level of uh, fine tuning, yeah. or maybe I mean maybe we haven't even explored that yet. But it, it's interesting to see in a single singer and to correlate that to her understanding of like you know light head voice versus mix versus so i can tie this all into some things in my own sort of world um, you know, my dissertation was on looking at at, at, at nasality and and, okay. and, and, te- okay. and and tenor transition and there's been some further looking at at, at, at these ideas of, of, of sort of transitioning through passaggio using using some actual filopharyngeal opening and it's sort of a hot topic right now. Brian and Brian's, Brian Gill and, and Johan Sundberg and Philippe Law are going to present on it some at, at, at Voice Foundation this spring. They have a paper coming out. Um, and it's sort of Brian's sort of you know, big thing right now. And I respect their, their research is very clean and it's very accurate. And um, the, the thing about it, is, and it actually backs up my dissertation research, I mean, which was built off a study that Sundberg did originally. Anyway, the interesting thing is, and, and for our audience, the idea of using um, nasality to transition male voices really came from Burton Coffin. I mean, Coffin, that was one of Coffin's sort of tenets of training male voices. Um, Interestingly, my own thinking on that, and it sort of goes back to like looking at literature differently, Mm -hmm. I now think of like my own writing as a total historical artifact (laughs) because I think it's, I personally believe that the device that I was using to take those measurements is faulty. Okay. Um, Mostly because of the the device has a mic sensitivity that increases when there's a first formant reactance because of the frequency sensitivity of the microphone. And so as soon as you get that big boost of H2F1 right before the turn of the voice, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, you get a boost in nasalance. That's false boost in nasalance. Okay. It actually okay. could be a boost in velopharyngeal opening. That might also be happening. But you can't tell because the microphone. But you can't tell. Yeah. yeah. So that's one of my one of my one of my suspicions. The other one of my suspicions is just now that I've gotten into working with aerodynamics more, the reality is as soon as you couple the nasopharynx in terms of air you're coupling a lot more space. Right. And so the volume capacity of your vocal tract above the vocal folds has increased quite a bit, actually. And what has that done to CQ? It's reduced it. Okay. And so the thing is that reduction in CQ makes you a lot less likely to engage a second form of strategy. So my, my statement would be, wow. if you're a baritone, bass, tenor, who is trying to make a robust classical sound mm-hmm. as you ascend the turn, if you are using that strategy, it will work. You will go through the transition easier. Okay, right. From a, you mean from a phonation standpoint? From a phonation standpoint, like you won't crack, mm-hmm. but the reduction in CQ 
inevitably makes you less likely to actually achieve the ringing, ringingness of the voice or the robust nature of the voice that we would expect in a full operatic sound. If that's the kind of voice you're training. If you're training somebody to sing CCM, actually the other thing works great because you don't need that strong acoustic signal. Mm-hmm. You're not singing on a microphone. Yeah. So what does it matter? You don't want it actually. That has you, huge implications though for training. Right. I mean, now, really. nobody's, I can't prove that. I don't have anything to prove those two differences um, other than a little video I did on my phone with a tube that I have. Um, but <laughs> well, how, do, how, does, how does the, the Domingo strategy, the singer's format strategy fit in that? Because you certainly don't want to have that in in the pop music either because that, right. that, that sound is too strong for a microphone. I, it's, it's a good question that I don't know the answer to because, I mean, the, the thing about that, I think, and I want to hear you guys talk more than I, I but, but I'll, just, I'll just answer that. I don't think we know why one happens more than the other and that's a problem in the literature. It's a hole in the literature. But in the end, it has to come down to something about the shape of the vocal tract that's creating that. Mm-hmm. Meaning, it has to. Yeah. It has to, because we know that that's how the laws of tube acoustics work. The only thing I would say about that is that I think that nonlinearity has been underestimated still, because one of the things that nonlinearity, in terms of source filter theory, so basically, uh, thinking about the system working backwards, like the resonator affecting the glottis, right. which is essentially what we're talking about with F2 tuning. I mean, if, 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 I think if we can engage the right shape and we get the F2 tuning, the CQ will raise. Right, it's chicken, I mean, it's a right. chicken egg, it's a court it, it, heart. Right. It's interesting because this, in a way, goes along with, uh, if that's true, it goes along with what Ingo has presented on inertance within the system. Exactly. Right. Well, that has become like the, the basically the basis of my teaching. Okay. I mean, inertive reactance has sort of become the, I think, the basis. Using, I, I take Ken's thing of using affect to turn it into inertive reactance mm-hmm. to get the vocal folds to coax into the right shape. Um, anyway, l- long story short, with the singer's format thing, I think in general we don't pay enough attention when we're looking at a spectrogram as classical singers to the zones of the spectrogram that aren't hot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like we don't pay enough attention to what's being attenuated or not. Because one of the hallmarks of the great singers, and this can even apply to soprano pedagogy, one of the hallmarks of great singers is that at, once you hit that 4K window, most of them fall off dramatically. Right. And yet we see that not not happen in voices that aren't quite resonating as efficiently and so well that they tend to use more source strength which is going to raise all the harmonics further out right like like we would want in a more commercial sound right and this is exactly right because one of the one of the fallacies uh, about say singers format is that and i know this goes back a long ways maybe even to denver uh, when someone questioned me on you know you, you wouldn't want your, you know your poor little soprano to try to pump up our singers format she can't I mean, not in her upper upper. It's not natural. Maybe she can push it. Um, well, maybe and maybe well, the, the she doesn't even need it. it. So I mean, going in not for that. There, there's some interesting. Ian's doing some interesting work on that right now, actually, and he's going to present at Nats this summer. Basically, a, a model of what he's referring to as soprano singers format. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. Well, I mean, that's but he's to come but along. he's looking at that more um, versus auto, as auditory roughness that's resolved or not, mm-hmm. okay. more as just increased source signal. Right. Yeah. Um, I have no research on this, but my, my anecdotal experience is that sopranos are more likely to use singers format as a color issue. I mean, we, Don and I sat for a day one time and just watched Renee Fleming sing, mm-hmm. and she loves to tune uh, her F3 on certain vowels, uh, you know, in the upper, upper, sure. like top of the staff and sure, stuff like sure, that. Sure, and sure, it's, sure, sure, it's very much used as a, a color. Now, some of the more, dra- I mean, she's not on the dramatic side, and you might see, I mean, with Marilyn Horn, you would see a more consistent use of singers. I mean, almost something that looks more like male singers. Yeah, yeah more of course. sort of riding across there. But not in her upper, upper range. No. But know, she's no. not singing much in her upper No, no, I understand. Right. But I guess my, the thing I want to make clear for the podcast is really that in female voices don't rely on singers' form as yeah. the dominant resonance right. in their upper register. No. Like well, as the research or, shows, the, the higher that F1 is, is, that it is tracked with the fundamental, 
the, the more powerful that resonance becomes. Yes. Oh, yeah. So an yeah, F1H1, yeah, 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 I mean, yeah, just yeah, the, the yeah. higher that is, the more impact it has. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah, yeah, when you go to pie on that, yeah. you, don't, you don't need it for ca- to carry. Yeah. So, since we're talking about all this stuff, t- tell me a little bit about this workshop that, that you guys do. I mean, I know that officially it's sort of chaired by Richard Lissamore. Yes. Mm-hmm. Who is working on a PhD in voice science, was a 20-year teacher in New York City. Right. Yeah. Um, teach, you know, he was a student of Orrin Brown, right, at Juilliard, I think? I, he was at CCM, and I don't know when he w- went to uh, to New York. but Well, I, anyway, but he's been teaching classical voices musical theater voices yes. long 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 yeah. long, long time. time and he's now he's now I, I probably about done with his coursework I would yeah. imagine he's done with his coursework he's, um, he's deep dissertating right he's now he's deep in the experiment um, itself uh, and, and, and then of course uh, the, the gentleman who brought all of us together originally our, our dear friend yes. and one of my dearest mentors Don Miller mine too um, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the creator of Voce Vista who sort of has created this weird friar Voce Vista community <laughs> community that's right um, you know that we're all so thrilled to be a part of and that we love him dearly and we hope he listens to this because we love you dearly Don um, but uh, so tell me a little bit about the workshop and, and like if, if a listener is interested so the, the dates are June 7 to 9 is what I thought. Is that a Wednesday through Friday? Yeah. Okay, good, good. June 7 to 9, Every, and it's at Montclair State, right? It is. In New Jersey. Jersey. Mm-hmm. Yes. Very close to the city. You can fly into Newark Airport or you can drive if you're on the I East think it's Coast six somewhere. through eight this year. Six through eight. Okay, yes. excuse me. Yeah, I was close. I it's was a close. Wednesday through a Friday, so that leaves you free to go into the city on a Saturday or okay, see a perfect. show Friday night. Perfect. Um, and t- so tell us a little bit about like what the activities there will be. I know both of you are presenting on a topic. Mm-hmm. I'm sure mm-hmm. Richard and Don are presenting on something. Yes. So t- tell us a little bit about what like that how that unfolds. You can start. Well, I'm, you were joking yesterday about, about the pedagogy of pedagogy, and I think <laughs> a in, little in, bit of... In, in fact, we were having a discussion about how I think that there needs to be a book about how a, a, a pedagogic text about how to teach voice pedagogy. Sorry, going on. Right. Well, I mean, along those lines, I think Richard Lissamore is, is feeling really passionate about a pedagogy of voice science, and so the, the, the science is coming uh-huh. at us mm-hmm. at a pretty fast rate. And, and we're having to acclimate, and people are handling that in different ways. But along the way, we need to develop ways of imparting that information. Yeah. Uh, we're still having to make decisions about the canon, you know, what is, what's really interesting to know and what's really actually pragmatically helpful to know sure. as a voice teacher. And then who's your audience? I mean, we've had SLPs there. This year, we have uh, at least one choral conductor. I mean, sort of broadening that audience. But... Um, and so the, the layout is so intentional. I mean, we start with just a review course in, in fundamentals of pedagogy, what we would all, you know, sort of historic pedagogy, um, moving into introduction of uh, some of the basics of acoustics, introducing features of voce vista, and then moving in, that's where Don, uh, where Dan and I come in, talking through the male and female voice in terms of how the vowel formats particularly, uh-huh. and maybe to some degree more in the male voice singer's format. We're also, we're talking very specifically, both Kelly and I were right. on the same page about, you know, close vowels first, um, and tracking the resonance of those uh, throughout the registers for the female voice is what she'll do, and I'll do the exact same thing, but for the male voice. Right. And so... And then open vowels. And, and this is, at least the way that I have, we've talked about it, and the way that we sort of designed it at this point, is anybody could could come to this without any experience and gather a lot of information without being overwhelmed. And even those people who are already experienced, Mm -hmm. there will be a lot of information for them because it will be very specific um, on that. And then we'll use the new Voce Vista and maybe even some slides from the old Voce Vista. I was going to ask if you were going to use Voce Vista 5 or... We're trying to move... Purely into the. the I have new. I have gone to a completely Voce Vista five world. I right. mean, I'll be I'll be honest. The only time I I think I even uh, used Voce Vista three was this spring when I was at Carson Newman and I was trying to train them. And at that point, the EGG wasn't compatible to receive source signal right. yet uh, on Voce Vista five. And so I that, I think that was the only time I've had the old version of Voce Vista open. I'm just thinking about the list of presenters because you went through a really nice list of uh, what's going to happen. But I think Jeannie Goffey Finn who mm-hmm. comes from mm-hmm. the Barbara Dosher background as right. a historical thing. Richard does an excellent job of introducing the... What's he going to talk about? Acoustics and... Introduction it, to very, acoustics. Very, very, very...
very clear, very specific, and he's so animated when he does his presentation. I'm sure. It's, so uh, it's, it's awesome. I've seen him present before. And then, and then she and I will be a little bit more specific about the individual things. And We're then, incorporating live singers in those so that good. people get That's to see real great. application. It's always so important that we have real sound. Right. Yes. I think incorporating sound, and I would just encourage you, this is, just, this, this is Nick Perna's contribution. <laughs> sure, bring it on. My, my encouragement would be, if you are using Voce Vista 5, use the frequency filters. Actually oh, use the frequency filters and have people listen to the different parts of the spectrum. We absolutely. were talking about this yesterday morning with Ian and Ken and, and Chadley. Um, I, for me, once I got Voce Vista 5, I, I feel like my teaching is totally different than it was a year ago. Because I have had it for about a year. And I feel like, for example, I, I was telling them this story yesterday, so it's sort of already on the podcast. But I, when I did Turandot this spring, and I was listening to dramatic voices in actual rehearsal spaces, now that I basically know that the fundamental just sounds like this really hollow ooh sound, right. listening to the singer's format of one of our caliphs was so clarified for me. Mm-hmm. Because I could hear the difference in what was happening. Now, he was not a very F2 dominant singer. He was a very Domingo-esque, mm-hmm. yes. FS dominant right. yeah. singer. And, but it was because of frequency filters, it, it has even taken another step of clarifying, even in my own singing, I think, mm-hmm. because I do, I do have F2 tuning on certain vowels, mm-hmm. but my voice is so singer's format dominant. Mm-hmm. It's just... It like I mean like one of my students I, I was always sort of like no no I'm very F two dominant uh, and I am on an A vowel okay 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 great but one of my grad students this year he was like what why do you keep saying you're F two dominant he said your singer's format like yells at us why <laughs> it. it's just like when you're singing in a space with me it's like your singer's format is just slapping me in the face stop saying that so anyway it's just been very clarifying sure. I, that's that's my one recommendation is use frequency filters whenever possible absolutely and and one of the things as um, this is my third. I just finished my third year at Montclair, so I've been teaching PED there the last year and a half. And after I've, many years at Houghton College. After 23 years at Houghton College, right. And the, um, but it's given me a base of students that are familiar enough with the program that sure. they don't go through that sort of shock. Yeah, I mean, yeah, even yeah, when yeah, you yeah, get yeah. the most willing student or, or singer, they're so distracted. What is that screen showing? Yeah. What are we looking at? What is this even all about? That They often don't, they can't really get into the spirit of it and and show the things you want to show sometimes and so i'm just excited to have a few people as guinea pigs or or willing participants that i know have some idea what we're doing it is always great when we like run into students who are sort of willing to embrace absolutely the visual aspect of it as well i think I, i just want to throw this out there because you had mentioned this you know having live singing but to me, I can't imagine having this uh, kind of technology as advanced as we are now and just showing oh, I can't imagine. slides because it's, it, right. we're looking at real-time feedback and what is the advantage that of having advantage. real-time feedback right. that you can adjust something in real-time to see the differences. And I will also throw in there that one of the things that, that Richard did that I particularly enjoyed was when he brought his friend in Kevin Rune yes. and they used the ultrasound with this little wand. So I was going to ask if you're doing of any the of that. Tongue. There's like two presentations. So you have a, you have a, I'm so fascinated you have to read his thing because I, I know he's working on it with the tongue and, and I, I've not done anything like that and so I'm, I'm fascinated to see what this that is comes This is completely amazing to me because it's just like what we saw when you start to learn or you teach someone how to look at where the resonances of the vocal tract are and how to tune to certain harmonics or whatever, whatever your strategy might happen to be. They had a soprano up there who was working and he was trying to get her to sing an E vowel and she's singing E and he's like, that's not really E. And so she's looking at her, her own picture of her tongue inside her mouth and realizing that she's, her tongue is almost, it's arched, but it's almost It's almost sort of low and flat in the back. And, and then she went, and finally she got it and then he said, that's E and she goes, oh, that's what it feels like. But she didn't really know until she saw it. So I, the visual I, feedback is what I'm, you know, it was most amazing. impressive. I have heard, uh, I've heard Ian say, that um, he wishes that we all had handheld, cheap, affordable ultrasound, ultrasound. devices. No, that's that's my Christmas he said, wish list. He said, <laughs> "Until we have that, we won't really be where we need to be in terms of actually knowing what physiologically is going on." Yeah. Uh, and and I, that, that's. I mean, this could add even more credence to that idea. I mean, uh, you can sort of tell by the where the formants are, sort of. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. But it's not mm-hmm. the same thing as being able to 
make the connection between seeing the video of your own tongue inside your mouth. I mean, it's... And I think a lot of us have strategy. I mean, we, t we pay attention to the visual and the first, you know, front half of the tongue, and we certainly can do some checking yeah, to sure, check course, the position. Of course, of course. But it was... But for the student, the, the visual and actually monitoring the position of the tongue on that, especially that last third, mm -hmm. I mean, that would open up I mean, yeah. there would be breakthroughs that we have, you know. That well, we I, I think the only the only question there that I'm I'm interested to see how again I, I I'm interested to read his stuff and right. see see where it goes. But I mean, I question there are a lot of tongue positions. True. Meaning, we know a lot of great singers just from photographic evidence Absolutely. that have a lot of varying. Well, you mentioned Domingo. Yeah. I mean, I would never suggest to no. a singer that someone tried on purpose to duplicate that. Right. At the same time, I've also theorized that that is why his resonance is what it is. I it think is. that's true. Yeah. That that is why his singer's format is so consistent and so dominant and it's so buzzy and it's so that that that's part of it. Well, and I, I, don't, I hope I'm not giving away any of Richard's research, but the, the more interesting comment he made was not about the difference in tongue position as the quality of that position, and that students that we would consider novice or sort of on the mm -hmm. less trained side tended to have a, a, a very simple shape to the tongue, mm -hmm. and that those that Rather had achieved... Rather defined or something Well, like that. it was elegant. He said mm -hmm. that the, the tongue positions of, of more skilled singers took on these complex mm -hmm. shapes, which actually supports your theory of, of Domingo. Sure. I mean, it's not, it's not a one-size-fits-all that we're looking for, but that there was this sort of static uh, simplicity, you know, sort of low and flat well, or, or something. And I just thought that was interesting because he said when the tongue was was in more ideal positions, it just was almost like a dance. Or, or that's awesome. I just found and that. I think that's indicative of voice teaching, though. I mean, I think we just all anecdotally, I mean, the difference, at least between a novice and a, and a pro. Absolutely. I mean, we sort of, you know, just recognize well, the those finesse kind of and things. control. Finesse. That's a good word. Yeah, for right. it. Finesse. finesse is a good yeah. word for it. Right. In, in everything, I mean, in messa di voce, in the position of your tongue, in the rest of the strategies, and you know, last night we heard, we went to the opera oh, here, and so we heard um, a fantastic, I can say, a fantastic Gilda, who oh. had a nice, big voice, but had great ease uh, and connection to the top, and she could just loft the softest sound, and then and crescendo, it and it, yeah, I mean, beautiful on her E flat in the any in the in the um, the duet, Acadonome, no, the aria, the aria. The, the Acadonome yeah. was just to die for, and the tenor also, he was he was very singer's format kind of tenor, I think, big. Robust. It was a sound. very good production. Was very that's that's fascinating. I wanted to mention before just a couple other features of the workshop. Please, one please, that we're introducing this year is actually using assessments. So the oh. se the um, so you'll hear a presentation and then like a ten minute quiz, if you will, on the material, oh. and then a ten minute discussion <laughs> of that. And that's, that's not meant to put great. anyone on the spot, but we've got to get a better idea of what's actually getting through. Yes, and it no, creates that's... accountability, um, and it also gives the participants more a sense of like, did I grasp that? You know, sometimes you walk away going, I think I have some idea, but like, if you get eighty percent of it, no, you really, you really got something. You really got. Well, and you know, this, I'll just jump in and yeah. say that it's, it, you know, I started this with Don more than twenty years ago, yeah. um, and it took me a long time to kind of get on board. Other people have caught on much quicker, and yet, people still. It kind of missed the, the point a little bit, and I, you wonder if is is it too much information, or what? But it's a, still a huge paradigm shift from what we've been used to. So yes. it's not to negate anything that we've learned earlier; it's to refine what we already know. Right. But it's right. a huge, hugely different way of thinking about how we get there, and that yes. people have a hard time, you know, dealing with. Because in the end, you're probably going to end up with some kind of hybrid. But getting to the hybrid requires still a, a, getting your mind around these yeah. new concepts. I mentioned this yesterday with with the gentleman I was talking with yesterday because their you know their workshops somewhat similar. I mean, in, at least in right. general it, topic. Absolutely. Um, and and I yeah. was telling them that one of the things I always say to my graduate students is that anytime you come to this information, it's always a process. Like, I don't care what book you read, I don't care who's saying it to you, you're not gonna get it all the first time. Right. right. And I've really tried to come up with ways, because, you know, like y'all, I go and present and, yeah. and, and do different workshops or different whatever. And th this spring, particularly, I was giving an address where I it was just a generalized audience. Like it was not a music audience okay. whatsoever. It was a general. It was to the general public. Okay? Wow! <laughs> so it, was, it was the keynote address for a science festival. Okay. And one of the ways that the, the, one of the things that I told them right away was, you're not going to know what I'm, all of what I'm talking about, and that's okay. Right. 
you know, but I, I always like to tell people that this information is a process. Mm -hmm. This information is a journey and a process. It's not the first time. You're not going to read Don's book or Ken's book no. or whatever and all of a sudden understand voice acoustics. That's no. not... No, or, or, that's or good even, to set that Or right. even worse, read Ian's dissertation and understand psychoacoustics. <laughs> you know, but I mean, it, it's a process and it's a journey, Absolutely. but it's worth it. I always tell my students, if you can understand just the interactions of the first format, you'll be a Je Jedi Master voice teacher. Yeah, right. True. I mean, because, just that alone. Because would... <laughs> it takes the, even that takes the guesswork out of most of the treble staff mm -hmm. yeah. with whatever and an octave below it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, right. It's right. easy for us. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, and I always tell them, I'm like, listen, guys, basses can get lucky. Basses can get lucky and hit. Yeah. I mean, they basically can open their mouths, but that doesn't mean that if they just get lucky down there, that it's going to work an octave above it, that. And it doesn't. <laughs> As a I baritone. You, it does not. <laughs> right. You actually have to have a strategy yeah. in, in, involved. And, but, you know, one of the other things I, I just randomly about the journey, I, I've started to reconceptualize how I introduce this material to generalized audiences. And I say, I always tell them, I got this from one of my doctoral students former doctoral student, she's now out teaching. I said, think of your entire format series as hollow space. Just think of it as, as shaped hollow space. And that's your entire format series. And every time you change the hollow space, you change the format series, all of it. And, 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 and if I can usually get an audience to wrap and just show them three different images of Brad's stories through 3D MRI mm -hmm. of the vocal track mm. and they're almost immediately with me. Right. I mean just that information alone understanding oh okay hollow space that's the hollow space oh I shape it differently okay that's that, that, that that's what you're talking about that's what I'm talking about. It, I mean, I walked my son through a science fair project in eighth grade on, you know, vowels as filter, awesome. filter frequencies of vowels, and we just did the speaking voice, and, you know, he, it, the teacher was very impressed, partly because she couldn't completely understand the project. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's <laughs> not the point. Like, but I got my eighth grader to understand some of the basics of yeah. what we were doing. I mean, that was a, it's, you know what I'm saying? I mean, part of what makes it hard is just lack of familiarity. Oh, like you're saying, absolutely. just keep coming back to the material. And, and I think that, I think, again, this goes back to the having live singers yep. I think some of the, the the scary part of it years ago if, if you were introduced for first to it years ago was just seeing spectrograms you know yes and yeah. that it wasn't related to sound maybe and you were just looking at a spectrogram you didn't know what you were looking at and or you did, how could you make it applicable or practical you know right. it, it, usable in any way right yeah. and so I'm glad to see that, that that's definitely a focus of what y'all are doing I mean I think it's so important I think it's so important and it's and so another thing that we have are the breakout sessions which give people a chance you know like four or five different small rooms with which everything you know EGG the whole deal set up and people that's can just great. try it out they can just get their hands on it if they want to if something's captured their imagination well I'd like to hear see what my high voice looks like or you know I'd like to feel what the EGG is like they get a chance and so we have two or two at least two of those my guess is that in, at least in the past, and I'm assuming it will be the same this year, that there's a wide variety of levels. So there'll be Probably. people who have never seen Absolutely. it before, who maybe even aren't even singers, you know, have a different Some, reason for, for yeah. coming. Um, and th there'll be people who have used it a lot, mm -hmm. but will have something that needs to be clarified. So there'll be an opportunity to get in one of these sessions and they'll be with, you know, an experienced person like Kelly or myself or, you know, whomever, Don, um, and, and have them, they can ask their questions and we can go through it, have okay. them Great. do it. Hands on. That's and so I mean, talk vital. about audience too. The as we move through, it does it moves into contemporary styles as well. And Richard's sure, so course, good at bridging course, that gap. But, and, and he needs to. And the and the I technology's mean, actually been the the best platform for us to all talk to each other. Oh yeah, you know, I mean that our, sort of broke common, things open. It's our common language. It's we all use resonance. We can, all yeah. use phonation. And you know, yeah. people. Just example. The, the, you know, at the Nats first workshop on belt that was in New York. The, the were you three, there? Yes, the three master teachers that were talking about belt, none of them agreed on what belt is. Right. But now we have at least some huh. way huh. of looking at it and saying, does this still fit within what we think Ingo Tietz's article on E, e, B, e and A being good belt fouls, I thought, uh, opened some new questions. <laughs> and yet, I think that the musical theater teaching community looked at that article and went, yeah, we've known that for we've 25 known, years. Right, yeah. right. Why are you Don't, telling us yes. this? Well, I mean, and that's where the theory and the practice sometimes, I mean, where yeah. somebody said yesterday, we're running, 
you know, uncontrolled experiments in our studios all day long. I mean, and we're right. learning yeah, things yeah. along the way, and we can't write them up as fact, but often they're they are like sort of folk, like folk wisdom is often very true. You right. know, uh, yeah. and we can't eliminate. And, and that was one of the wonderful things about what Kari presented. I thought these last two days, yeah. just this idea that we can't eliminate Kari Reagan, who's who I'm talking about. Um, the empirical. We, she was presenting on um, evidence-based voice pedagogy, sort of a model compared to medicine, evidence-based medicine, um, and just sort of bringing in the, a Venn diagram where anecdotal evidence, like our studio teaching, yeah. and voice research, so actual scientific studies kind of thing, plus student expectations and goals sort of in the middle of that Venn diagram where they meet. And, and, and I actually want to have my students watch your talk, my grad students, because I think it's an important sort of model for them to consider. Um, I, I, I thought it was really good, but we can't ignore the anecdotal evidence of what, you know, and I think that's one of the beauty, beautiful things about what has sort of come out a lot of a, a lot of this work has been sort of verifying some of the schools of thought. Absolutely. That yeah. that, that a lot of these guys. I mean, I was reading a bunch. Uh, oh gosh, his name just 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 lost my mind. Uh, 18th century German uh, pedagogue um, who was all about somber timbre. His <laughs> his name just totally left my uh, Stockhausen, and. Um, and uh, Steve had done a, a column on him. Steve Austin had okay. done a column okay. on him uh, okay. in Provenance a, a while back, um, maybe a few years ago. But, I, I mean, I, it got me really to think in regards to thinking about F2 tuning. And, I mean, it's so on point. Like, I went back, one of my grad students was rereading his manuscript. And he's like, this guy is so on point with everything we know about resonance. Right. And I keep, I keep making the joke to my graduate students that Garcia was right. I just basically keep making that. It's, it's sort of a revolving joke for right. us. Well, this reminds me of James Stark's book. Yeah, Conto, of course. Because there's a lot of things that he, he brings out of the history of our yeah. tradition that with the current technology, we're able kind of to prove that that they were right all along, right. you know, even though it was anecdotal at the time. Well, I always tell audiences, I, we've been teaching this stuff well for 400 years. Right. We've been doing something right for 400 years. Yeah. It doesn't mean it was the most efficient way to do it. Sure. That's a different thing. That's a, you know, right. Or the quickest, but we've been doing something right for 400 years. I mean. Well, and I, I often say if, if the information that we, got, what we get from something like Voce Vista were not either kinesthetic or oral, we couldn't do it when we stepped away from the computer. Right. That's why it's reinforcing what we you know, already know. I mean, if these things weren't something where I could point to the visual and say, that's what we want to achieve, now what is that? Often I'm connecting that to kinesthetic sensation. Absolutely. What does it feel like to let the first form it drop below the fundamental? What does that attenuation of sound Absolutely. feel like? And what does it feel like when you track? What does it feel like when you find that vowel resonance that just... It feels like it, it's self-sustaining almost. I, mu I must say this too because you, you brought it up and this is a little bit off of our topic, but mm. I've had people ask me, well, you know, when, when you're not looking at the computer screen, are you able to sing? And I just laughed. <laughs> we were singing for like, I don't know, if you, the dawn of if you time. watch yourself in, in the mirror and, and then you're you step singing, away. can you sing without the mirror there? Or are you, you, you're a fan of it? Oh, you're a fan of using straws. Fantastic. Hey. Can you sing without a straw? Can you sing without a straw? I mean, absolutely. It's kind absolutely. of a fallacy, you know, but it is to reinforce force what you feel with the visual so you know that you have the right sensation. Well, it gives it a name yeah. and then the neurological connection is stronger uh, to what that absolutely. sensation is because you're getting a lot of sensations. Well, and, 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 and not only that, but no, come here. Come on in. I mean, I might leave to get something. No, you cannot. This is Catherine Peterson has joined us. Oh, yeah. We're, we're recording, so... Uh, you're here. You're here live with Vocal Fry. Oh my gosh! Vocal like a secret fire. <laughs> um, uh, um, what was I going to say about that? Oh, well, what I was going to say is, with the straw thing, or with the, with the spectrogram, or whatever it is, any I don't care, mirror or whatever. I mean, none of that. I, just for the record, and you guys, I know, will agree. None of that's ever going to replace a voice teacher. No. No, no technology is ever going to replace a voice teacher, and. And, 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 and to even think that that is a thing is sort of ridiculous. I know. I did. Ha By the way, I just parenthetically a nice joke. I did have a, a voice teacher ask me if would be able to re replace a teacher, and I said no. There's no way. She goes, well, why do you have it then? Well. It's a tool, but... I know, but she was thinking that the technology could... Re you know, Why do you have a mirror in your mm. studio? But, but why have it if you can't replace the teacher? Like, I'm going to be gone. I'm, <laughs> like, I'm like my game. machine to my teach for me. going to take my lessons for me. No, I mean, Jan, Jan broke up, and I, she's one of my colleagues at, at Montclair, joke, because she tells me about this... Uh, I think it was at 
what's the one in Philadelphia? The oh, Voice, Voice Foundation. Foundation. Voice Foundation, and they said, well, what's the best tool for the te- you know teaching in the studio? And the person answered, you know, my well-trained ears. <laughs> you know, yeah. and I don't think we we're not even trying to get away from that. We're, we're, no. There's no attempt to get away. From in that. fact, you know, one of the things that all this material that we've been talking about today has brought me to is I'm trying to change my models in my ped classes to get much more away from anatomy and physiology. I'm actually spending <laughs> so much more time with student ear training of, of, of what part of the spectrum are you listening to and then relating that to what is happening physiologically almost as the secondary. Mm-hmm. And it's really changed my sort of paradigm of how I'm, I haven't fully integrated it yet because I was transitioning there this year and, and inevitably, I mean, I've been doing this for 12 years, I think I've been teaching PED. Every single time I teach it, it's different. I've never taught it the same way twice. And now I'm, 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 I'm really shifting to this thing of where I think I'm finally going to take Scott's model of teaching resonance first. I mean, he sort of challenged me on this about five years ago, um, Scott McCoy, who I'm talking about. And he's like, well, that's why the book's laid out that way. And I was like, well, I haven't had the, the – at that point, five years ago, against you know, evolution – I had not sort of had the courage to not put breathing and respiration first. <laughs> but now I'm at a point where I'm ready to put that last. <laughs> um, so Richard, Richard Miller once said, and I will quote this, no one ever learned to sing by knowing the names of the muscles. No. And so True. It, it, is it valuable information? Absolutely. Of course. But great. in what way, right? So just exactly. like knowing what a formant is, isn't nece- necessarily going to help you be a really good voice teacher or, or, or a better singer. It's how you use that information. And I agree with you, We our vocal pedagogy courses, most of them, at least the old school ones, are all about anatomy and physiology, which is fine, but they need to evolve to include these other things that we now know are, are important. Yeah. 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 Well, in the end, in the end, it's all sound. I mean, in the end, it's sound and expression. I mean, so, and, how do we as humans interact with sound as a voice teacher? If we're training voice teachers, if that's what our classes are right. tra- training, in, in the end, we're getting that information externally from the, our ears. Yes, we need to watch. Okay, yes, I'm not saying that the eyes aren't important, important, or even emotionally, you know, being this empathy thing that we were talking about <laughs> this weekend. Um, but but <laughs> Joy. Yeah, we had a lot of buzz- <laughs> lot of, <laughs> had a lot of buzzwords this 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 weekend, including challenge challenge learning or something like this. But um, a lot of buzzwords. But uh, anyway, this idea of just uh, our ears in the end are our filter for the world. I mean, they're at least yeah. for the singing musical. Oh yeah. And we can't sort of underestimate that. Listen, we're going to have to wrap up. But okay. before we go, because we are 15% voice science, 35% voice pedagogy and singing, and 50% pop culture, I need to know what kind of pop culture, anything you guys like. Movies, TV, books, uh, podcasts, uh, uh, cooking, uh, a- a- anything. Pop culture. Let's see. Michael Jackson? Is he still alive? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He is, in fact, not alive. <laughs> But if you've never seen the documentary, this is it. It's worth watching. <laughs> anyway, sorry. They're big. Well, we went to see the opera last night. And last weekend, culture? I went to see uh, The Avengers, which is one of my favorite movies. Well, we have two full episodes on the podcast about Avengers. We had a prequel episode plus a wrap-up. So in case you want to know more about okay. uh, uh, what what'd you think? Um, well, they've set themselves up purely to have another movie, which is lovely. There was no resolution at all, which... But I, it would, the, the CGI was amazing. It's banging. It, and, and, you know, this is, this is not a movie for the faint-hearted, I think. It's very exciting. It has, I loved it. We're seeing Audra McDonald today, That's and she certainly right. counts as pop culture. She and does. she was she on uh, uh, what's the the car riding karaoke? Uh, oh, James yeah. Corden. Oh, Anybody that makes it on I there. I haven't seen that. Oh, I, I need to, to watch it. You yes. need to watch her. I haven't. It seen was that. right before the Tonys or something. Yeah, yeah. They had oh, a bunch I need to of watch them. That. that was from last year. They had the uh, Hamilton and anyway. I, did, I didn't see that. Um, I watched the Justice League on the plane on the way here, oh, gosh. and I grew up watching the cartoon, and oh. it was such a connection for me with my childhood, and even one. Twins. They didn't have the Wonder Twins if you haven't seen it. But um, I, I love the superheroes when they all get together. I will say less. <laughs> I, and this, I can verify this, that we were in a lift last night and on the way to the opera house, uh, everyone was dressed up in their fine gowns and so on. And uh, Dr. Hitchley was 
rapping along with whatever was on the radio. And I, after, how, <laughs> how did you know all the words to that? Him, but... <laughs> how, how did you know all the Well, I, I listened to the radio a lot on my way back. Uh, on my way to Montclair, the way I stay awake is <laughs> I listen to pop music. <laughs> I have to listen to podcasts because I can't listen to music in a car. I, I have to be. I, I, I have to have a beat. Cannot, I, cannot. <laughs> I, have the, I have the Broadway channel on my, on my satellite okay. radio, and so I listen to that. And <laughs> Seth Rudetsky, who says... You cannot have any vowel modification. You just had a recent video on, on YouTube. None. None. Betty I've Buckley. had former students work with him. He's very interesting. It, it, this oh is very gosh. interesting because the, he played, uh, kind of off the topic here, but he, he played a recording of Betty Buckley singing something from Sunset Boulevard mm -hmm. where she didn't do vowel modification. It was complete change of vowel. It was, it was offensive. Vowel substitution. And it didn't sound good at all. And then he played a recording of her later on where she did not do that, and it sounded fantastic. So he said, this is proof. You know no, how he is. He's so excited. This is proof that you cannot have vowel modification. Well, and, yeah. well I, I just can't help but plug. I mean, I, I know the whole range of voice signs is important, but what I love about vocal acoustics is we really are getting back to language. Yeah. And I mean, you Absolutely. know, there's the voice, but, but communication is where, is where singing really starts. And, mm. and people think it's sciencey, but the more and more I teach it, the more I just think of it like a diction teacher, you know, sort of enhanced diction understanding i'm not but, ready to go there but anyway but <laughs> for your for your listeners actually if any of them listen to the podcast hidden brain they recently had a podcast maybe last week or the week before on children in communication and talking about the stages of verbalization mm. and when there's like a semi-resonant vowel versus a fully resonant really vowel, little speech tokens i have to listen to that yeah and how that sort of pops up with um babies learning and parents sort of like redirecting their learning. Well. I mean, the reality, we're masters of vowel I mean, we yeah, make these course. sounds, and I mean, of if, course. if you watch children, language acquisition is probably yeah. one of the most interesting oh, yeah, things yeah, yeah, ever. Yeah. Um, I'm still fascinated by how our registration points are really where awe changes. Yeah. Really, I mean, that's where we put them traditionally, but that's what children learn first. How primitive is that? I mean, like, how deep in us is that? What I is doing. So you're saying that language predates a spectrogram. That's what it you're saying. <laughs> By a year By or so. Million. By a year or so. Very, very, very. If you really want to split hairs. Well, I mean, it's 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 all uh, good fun. All right. So thank you guys so much for sitting down. Any anything pop culture you want to add? Um, Bob's Burgers. Bob's Burgers. Watch it. In, in and out burgers. Yeah. Okay. Very good. I've not watched Bob's Burgers. Oh my God, it is like the best example of what a family should be. In oh. like this, these like dysfunctional situations, they just like roll together and cope and love nice. each other. And okay, love it. Mm -hmm. Excellent, thank you. Um, so, thank you guys for listening. Thank you all for sitting down with me so much. Absolutely. Check thank what's, you. what's your website? SVSW.com. Right? Uh, I think the. SV if you if you Google if you if you if you Google singing voice science workshop because that's how I found the link it'll pop up okay so check it out go go get go go there now though because it's coming up very soon all right we'll talk to you guys later.